everyone and welcome back to the Booked and Busy podcast where I open books and then open my big mouth to talk about them. Today I am joined by the fabulous Elise John to talk about her UK debut of her Greek retelling Orphia and Eurydiceus. Enjoy! Hello Elise um, and welcome to the Booked and Busy podcast. So we're here to talk about your fabulous book Orphia and Eurydiceus. Is that right yet? <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted to be on. Oh, honestly, you're... I'm not, like, a Greek mythology girly. Like, I've I've read one and I wasn't a fan, so, like, I've normally strayed away. But I loved yours and the different, like, retelling and sort of how you flipped on its head, which we'll go into. But before we dive into all that, I just basically just, you know, tell us about yourself. How have you got from, like wherever to here now what's been your little journey gosh well I've always had a love of writing and reading I suppose really from the earliest times I can remember my parents read a lot to me as a child and I think it just instilled that love of storytelling in me and I was always drawn to stories that were set in historical periods or mythic worlds or involving magic I was really drawn to things that were beyond the world around me which I suppose if you grow up in sort of suburban Australia is quite relatable. And I love the potential to link those big stories to real life, to link the big things to the smaller things. I think there's a really powerful symbolism in myth because I suppose by definition it's really big and broad and it's something that's interpreted differently by different people. The myth is symbolic and it's a story that we try to make sense of culturally, personally um, and according to different life experiences we have. So in terms of my own background, my own life experience really drew me to the story of Orpheus and Eurydice. Um, My brother died suddenly and unexpectedly and we were very close, so I could relate very strongly to the themes of that myth, wanting to bring back someone who's died because you love them so much and feeling like you'd do anything to win them back and have them alive with you again. I could really relate to Orpheus as a character and how he had this extremely strong bond with Eurydice that drove him to just refuse to accept that they could be parted. And I suppose another aspect of my background that drew me to his character was the fact that he was a poet and a storyteller. I liked the idea of writing about a character who had my same occupation as a writer and who was struggling to develop their skill and use it to reach others. So that part of my own background really fed into the story too. And I suppose one more element was my interest in gender and my interest in writing a story where a woman was centred as an intellectual sort of hero and also as a leader in the romance who preferred to really make the moves. So I liked how a gender-flipped version of the story could play around with some of those ideas about who is the wooer and who is the courted one or who is the creative genius and who is the inspiration. And I've always been interested in stories about women who are empowered in some ways but also struggling in other ways. It's that balance between power and relatability, I suppose, that draws me in. I mean, wow, what a great answer. But also, I appreciate how raw and vulnerable you've just been then because I think it doesn't, you can't half tell that your experience is in that. And like, as someone who's experienced similar, and it is so hard to just accept the fact that someone's gone, that sometimes like you just feel angry. And I think that part in the book, particular, um, and how you depict grief is so beautifully written um and I think a lot of people are going to resonate with that so thank you you talked about poet so 
talk to us about your like poetry yourself as a poet and how now you've wrote a whole book <laughs> yeah I suppose you know on one level poetry involves close work with language and rhythm so in terms of the actual writing style it helps me to think about how I write and to focus in on smaller passages or particular images but then there's the other aspect of it which is that this book is also a story about a poet where the main character is a poet so it explores the power of creativity and the power of art really through her story so Orphea has to develop the courage to find her voice as a poet and I wanted to try to depict the struggle of a woman trying to become a better writer and learning to hone and improve her work. So her training with the muses in the story is a big part of this. Each of the muses was meant to represent a different aspect of poetry. You have Calliope as the goddess of epic poetry and Melpomene for tragic poetry, Erato for love poetry and other muses for dance and lyrical work. So Orphea is trying to learn how to weave all these different aspects into her composition and performance as she learns from these goddesses of the arts. And I hope there's something that, you know, other writers, whatever stage on their journey they are, can relate to in that because I think we're often trying to consider different parts of our work and there's a real labour that goes into trying to improve it. Yeah. I guess another aspect of poetry too that's depicted in the story um, is the, the magical aspect, the fact that Orpheus, the original character from the Greek myths, was meant to be such a talented poet and singer that his works had these magical effects and people and animals and plants and even natural forces would be drawn to him as he performed. So I wanted to depict this too in my novel and through the effects of Orpheus' poetry. Because I love the idea of magic as a metaphor for the power that storytelling can have. So that Orpheus' magic could reflect how stories can make us feel, how they can make our emotions kind of bloom like those flowers bloom. And also um, I liked the reader side of it too, how it can represent how it feels as a reader that reading a book can be a magical experience or in ancient Greece being an audience member or a listener. When you find that personal connection with a story, it can feel like magic. So the way that Eurydiceus feels this real connection with Orpheus' poetry too represents that part of it. So I, I guess poetry comes into the story in a number of different ways through the character's journey as a poet, through how poetry actually functions in the book and the effects that it has as well. It just sounds like so much aligned from your experience to sort of then write this story, like all the elements of like poetry, the different muses. Uh, I think it's like Arato and I'm probably saying that wrong, but I liked how her character was just so like flirty. <laughs> when she yeah, was she, like... She, um, she I'll good time i was like <laughs> stop <laughs> i was like loki before like eurydices came back into the tale i was like rooting for them i was like please fun let's just have a bit of fun with it and i was loving how just blatantly funny she was and i think it's because i've just i wasn't expecting it either that made it <laughs> so much more like fun I was sat there like... I think there's something about when you read who these characters were and you, you go through the bios, if you like, of the different muses and you think, why aren't these, these goddesses all famous? And really that's something that the, the book is kind of grappling with too, is why aren't these incredible women who already are there in the myths and goddesses more well-known? And, and reading about someone like Arata, I was just... I just thought she was incredibly cool and I wanted to portray her in this version as this kind of super confident queer woman who um, is one of the many muses that Orphea learns of. And, yeah, she definitely knows how to have a good time. 
Yeah, too right. I reckon she'd be a ball at a party. <laughs> so for obviously, I mean, we've you wrote it, I've read it, but like for listeners, can you please just sort of summarize what Orpheum Eurydiceus is about? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Orpheum Eurydiceus is a retelling of the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice, which is a story from Greek mythology, and it combines a romance with a quest element. So according to the myths, Orpheus was a famous poet whose songs were so beautiful that he inspired listeners everywhere and could even move the gods and the goddesses. And then he married a woman called Eurydice, but tragedy struck and she died. And Orpheus grieved for her so strongly and so passionately that he decided to go on a quest to the underworld where the dead were meant to live and to ask the king of the dead, Hades, if he would give Eurydice back. And Hades set Orpheus a challenge and said that he could win Eurydice back provided... He completed that task correctly and didn't make any mistakes. So I'm trying not to spoil it for anyone who's new while giving the general idea. So my novel is a gender swap take on this myth, meaning that Orpheus is a woman in this version called Orphea and Eurydice is a man called Eurydiceus. So this time it's the woman who is the poet and the man who is more of a muse. The woman is the hero on a quest and the man is more of her supportive partner. But both of the characters are also bisexual in my version of the story and they don't really fit into the gender norms of their society. So when they meet each other and they fall in love, they find true acceptance of each other's ways. And Orphea really yearns to be able to speak freely and practice her art and to have that freedom that men do in the society. And Eurydiceus is a shield maker and he, for his part, yearns for a world where people seek peace instead of combat. So he's a gentle kind of man and he doesn't really want to be a military leader or to be dominant in his relationship with Orphea. So they find this sense of balance with each other. And there were other aspects of the myths about Orpheus that were woven into this story because like a lot of those mythic characters, he pops up elsewhere to the original character. So for example, Orpheus was one of the Argonauts who featured in the mythic quest for the Golden Fleece. So that's part of the story as well. Um, Orphea similarly is recruited for that quest and then in some versions, Orpheus was meant to have trained with the Muses, so that's also a part of the story. And there are some places associated with Orpheus's stories, such as the town of Dion and the Aulius waterfalls on Mount Olympus, which feature in the story. And I had the chance to visit Greece and to do some note-taking at sites related to the myths, including on Mount Olympus and Mount Parnassus. So I was really lucky that my experiences of these places became part of the story. So yeah, in summary, it's a gender-swapped retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice myth with a few different touches and combining a few different elements of various versions of the myth. Yeah, love that you had a little holiday as well. <laughs> <laughs> love that. And you just sort of like got to really sort of like soak it all in, I think. And I think that's so interesting. How come you chose to sort of like bring in the different elements rather than just like the typical structure of the original myth like in terms of like the chronological aspect of it all with like the muses and the golden fleece and etc yeah i mean it seemed a shame not to somehow incorporate that part of the the argonauts journey into it because i think it's another way in which we see how orpheus was kind of an unusual hero uh, he was a hero who was a poet and a storyteller. And so the reason that he was recruited for that quest was that his poetry could be used as a kind of tool or a sort of weapon. Um, and I wanted to include that in the story because I think it's really interesting. A lot of the time, those mythic heroes uh, tend to be people who have a power involving combat or um, 
some sort of dominance and force, but in Orpheus's case, it was this beautiful poetry that could overcome opponents somehow. So I wanted to draw on that, but I also wanted to think about what it would mean for a woman. So in gender swapping, it wasn't just a case of, well, you change the genders of the characters and then mm. you do everything the same. I wanted to think about what it would actually mean for a woman to be a poet hero in that society um, and coming up against a character like Jason, who could be very ambitious in his own way. How would Jason perhaps seek to use her or how would they come into conflict? Um, so I, I tried to include that as well. Yeah. I loved, like, Orpheum Eurydice's, like, relationship. I like that he was very, like, soft in nature and, like, they really, like, balanced each other out and it was flipped on its head. And I think even, like, myself reading, I was like, oh, like, I don't think I've ever read, like, a story that's from, like, different, like, historical periods where it is the fact that, like, the woman leads and the man follows and I just think that was a really smart choice <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, I love different kinds of romances we can have, but I always feel like we need to see a few more that are like that, you know, in terms of what's already out there. Like, I would love to see more stories where you have a woman kind of leading the way or making the first moves, and I think it can be liberating not just for women but also for men, you mm. know, because just women can feel constrained to play a certain kind of role. So can men, there's the other side of that as well. So um, the fact that that can also free up men not to always feel like they have to be the leader or have to sort of take the lead can also be interesting too. Yeah, great. And Orphea and Eurydiceus are both bi-icons, bi-icons if you will. They, I think what's really beautiful um, in their relationship is that like, their fluid sort of sexuality is like aligned them in such a way that it like brought their walls down um, and they just got to be the most authentic selves together. And I think that was so beautiful. Um, why was it important for you like as a writer to sort of portray their sexualities in that way and like them together as well as part of their romance? Yeah, it was something that I felt was an important part of the story that I wanted to tell. Um, both of them being attracted to both men and women and this being something that they discuss in the novel. But aside from, you know, a scene where they talk about it, it's also an aspect of their identity that influences their approaches to relationships and their romantic dynamic because both of them have already gone outside those heterosexual norms and being attracted to people of the same gender as themselves before. So neither of them really wants to adhere to those really stereotypical gender roles in relationships. And their bisexuality, which they have in common, helps them to define themselves on their own terms too. And I was interested in exploring how bi-for-bi relationships, which is the term for relationships between two bisexual people, can be liberatory and empowering. I think bisexual people often feel invisible and often lack representation. So I wanted to show how finding someone else who is like you can be particularly powerful for bisexual people. And there can be something unique to a relationship between a man and a woman who are both bisexual that is different to a heterosexual relationship, even if someone looking at them on the surface might just see a man and a woman and a man and a woman in comparison. I think it's a queerness that sometimes goes unnoticed but can result in profoundly different dynamics and relationships. Yeah, completely I agree. Also, oh, sorry, you got <laughs> No, I was going to say completely agree. I think bi is so prominent in both like a heterosexual society and also like the queer sort of aspect of it as well that I think it's really important to portray just 
heartwarming like bye for bye relationships and just like yeah I think even in the case of like a man and a woman on the outside like to like stand on people sort of looking at that may just presume straight it's like well you don't presume like because that just also erases like the bisexual experience and like identities within that relationship as well and um, so I think that's a really good point to make sorry yeah, carry on to find representation for I think also like in explaining where I'm coming from with you know exploring bisexual joy and the bi for bi relationship in this book I definitely don't want to cut off other queer people from engaging with the story too um, one thing I really loved about getting to meet some of my readers here in Australia when the book came out here last year is that queer readers of all stripes came up to me and told me what Orphe and Eurydice's romance meant to them. I had some really lovely experiences. I had a queer couple give me handwritten letters. Another person wrote to me about how they related to a character. I had a couple come over and introduce themselves at a convention I was appearing at. And it's really ranged across people who are cis and trans, non-binary, lesbian, bi, gay, and of course, many straight readers who found something to love about it too. And it's just been really beautiful I feel like I'm very lucky to have such a rainbow of readers the fact that they wrote you handwritten letters is one of the cutest things that's yeah, I can so sweet that one because I was allowed to share a photo of it on Instagram I, I had a beautiful artwork made as well that they drew me of um, the motifs from the story including uh, the flower and the lyre and some other things so it was yeah I think those experiences of meeting readers are so special because during COVID lockdowns and many of the things that happened, there wasn't that chance for authors and readers to connect for a while. So it feels extra precious now, I think. Yeah, I can imagine. That's so special and really lovely. Really, really lovely. So I'm going to ask you now for like, I call this section like awards. And by that, it's just like your faves or least faves of like certain things. Um, so... Which character, when writing, were you most drawn to? I always find this kind of question hard, I think, because I tend to find connected, feel sort of connected to all my characters. But I think I would single single out someone from kind of the greater cast of characters in the novel rather than the two main characters and say Hera, the goddess Hera, because I was really interested in reimagining her as not being like the jealous wife figure, but more of a goddess who was aware of the patriarchy she was existing within and who found ways to empower and defend women. And she was such an important goddess for women, so I wanted the story to live up to that. But at the same time, I felt that fiery power is such a core part of what she's known for and is always burning in her. So I was really drawn to her as someone who was a contradiction in some ways and also as a figure that I wanted to slightly rework or reimagine there was a lot of potential there yeah defo she is a bad bitch in the best way <laughs> no doubt about it so which character then would you hate the most in real life do you reckon this is oddly a hard one too because there's <laughs> definitely more than one candidate but i would probably dionysus i think he's not portrayed very flatteringly in the part where he pops up because I was keenly aware of the stories about his satyrs being sent out to rape nymphs and mm. he's got a reputation for encouraging some pretty terrible behaviour. So I'll say Dionysus, but there were certainly other choices as well. <laughs> yeah, not shocked. Um, so when you were writing, which was like your favourite part to write, which do you feel like flowed easily out with you the most? I would say there was a part of the novel that was extremely cathartic to write because it drew on my own experience of grappling with my brother's death. And I think we don't talk about 
lost very much in modern society and we don't really hold a lot of space for grieving in culture. So writing about those emotions and thoughts, I wanted to give some space to something that can be devastating, but it's such a profound and such a vast experience for many people. So I wanted to show that the bonds of love can last beyond death and you can keep that person's connection with you. So I found that part definitely very easy to write. Yeah. And honestly, you can't half tell it was a beautiful part to write and to read, to write. Who am I? Um, So also when you were writing, was there any aspect of the narrative where you felt a bit like stuck? So like the opposite of it flowing, you were like, oh, how do I do this bit? (laughs) There wasn't so much stuck, but I did feel that going to Greece and note taking at some of the sites that feature in the story helped me to develop my descriptions of those places and to find ways to tie them into the story. So being able to walk around Delphi at different times of day or go through the Olive Grove or Mount Panassas helped me to find ways to move forward with the descriptions and to find those links between the setting and the story. Because I'd read about those places, but actually experiencing them was different. It helped me get to a point where I could describe Orphea wandering about on Mount Olympus and I knew exactly what that looked like and mm. what wildlife to encounter and how the angle of the slope would make her head feel and those kinds of details. So it's funny because you mentioned earlier, you know, having a holiday, but I felt really when I was in Greece, I was kind of obsessively note-taking and photographing (laughs) so that when I came to write those bits, I I then didn't get stuck in that sense. I felt very connected to the character's experience too. Yeah, that's so smart. I wouldn't even think to, I think to like take in the scenery, but I wouldn't walk like around thinking how... Just like how, how do I feel like when walking up this specific bit or when I'm looking at this like how the light comes in I just think that's really smart how long did you go to Greece for it was not a long trip it was just about two and a half weeks but you know I think you saying that makes me think I just must have had some kind of premonition because <laughs> of the timing of it it was late 2019 so it was just before COVID and I just had this sense on the trip of I really must make the most of my time and I must see everywhere related to the story that I can and, and a few places related to Medea because I was quite interested in that and then almost straight after I got back COVID happened so I was very fortunate in the time yeah uh, got in just in time oh Matt so you were writing it in 2019 I was note note taking then so I hadn't okay. finished writing by that time that's mad so how long do you reckon it's like the whole process of taking from like your initial idea to like having it in your hands how long do you reckon that well, there's a process of how long publishing takes too. So the book came out in Australia last year mm. and then is having the international release almost a year later. And then prior to that, of course, you have um, signing with the publisher and going through the whole production process. So although it seems like a long gap of time, it wasn't all time that I was writing or editing the book, though periods of that. And then there was also the, the sort of production chain that goes into getting the book ready. Wow. I just find that bit so interesting how it sort of like takes on like a life of its own after you've sort of written it I find that so just yeah just a bit baffling really because before like speaking to authors I never knew that was kind of like I thought it was faster for some reason than it was a very slow process yeah but I, I think that the way that it when you said it takes on a life of its own one of the really fascinating parts is seeing depictions as well seeing the cover imagery mm. the first time is really stunning and Andrew Davis who did that in the cover just you know imagined it in a really interesting way but also I, I had some character art done by an artist called Flero and working with her and her developing her depictions you know as you're writing you're doing something quite different to a visual artist and then seeing someone else depict your characters 
is really beautiful and can even make you, you know, see see something that you didn't see before. Or it's, it's just a very fascinating process. Yeah. Wow. Love that. So for us to sort of like wrap up, I suppose, I love to just uh, ask like specifically questions just in general. So first one is, what are you currently reading, if you are? Uh, I'm reading, uh, I don't think I'm allowed to say because it's it's somebody's book in progress. Right, okay. Um, But I I did, uh, let me think, in terms of mythology novels, I've read so many in the last year or so, but I feel we're at at a sort of period where it's just an exceptional quality of work that's coming out. So there's so many that I loved, but of recent reads, I really loved Rani Selvaraj's book, Savage Beasts, which adapts Medea's story to colonial era India. And it's just so well done. It's such a creative reimagining of the story. Um, and I also recently read Winter Harvest by Joanna Papadopoulou, which is a retelling of Demeter's story. And I just loved how she has this really rich and complex portrait of Demeter as this goddess who can both provide nourishment and take it away. There's that complexity of she's not just a stereotype of a mother but she's someone who can be terrifying as well and I really also loved the novel Dazzling by Chikadili Emily Madu which has such vibrant writing just the style of the book is incredible it immediately sucks you into this world of fraught young womanhood and meddling spirits and leopard magic it's this extraordinary novel and it's it's got such dynamic beautiful writing so there's at least three to start with, but I could easily go 20 of them in the last year that were exceptional. No, that's great. I feel like, I mean, you can probably draw on some others if you want for, what do you reckon your, like, favourite book, favourite in the sense of, like, you recommend the most, like, book? Oh, gosh, I, I definitely couldn't say one book because I have so many books that I love, but I think in terms of authors whose works I come back to a lot, um, I'm a sucker for lots of older works and classic poetry. I love Dante, I love Keats from a later period, but in terms of contemporary novels, I think I've read a lot of Hilary Mantel, uh, who wrote the Wolf Hall trilogy. I really love Susanna Clarke and her um, unique voice. I enjoy Melissa Broda as well. I think she's got a dark sense of humour, but there's always some compassion and something quite fascinating about her writing. And I just love Ocean Vong. I mean, what a beautiful, beautiful writer, I think, um, all of those four uh, exceptional authors that I've, I've come back to quite a few times. Yeah, I really, really want to read um, Ocean Young so bad. And I just like, go to pick it up every time and then just never do. And then always regret not picking it up. And it's so annoying that I think I just need to pick it up. Because, yeah, I think everyone always says that like, it's just so beautifully written. That I'm like, oh. Absolutely, yeah. Can't. Right. You've, I feel influenced. Oh, I'll go buy it. Um, do you think that we'll expect like another book anytime soon? If you can say, if you can. So I've been working on a few things that I'm really excited about. Exciting. Um, one of them. Sorry. I said that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm excited anyway. <laughs> we'll see. But um, one of them involves mythology. So, and another one of them is slightly different. But I would say that they both have queer relationships in common though with different focuses and they both touch on some contemporary issues so I'm waiting impatiently for the day when I can say more (laughs) yeah oh that sounds fabulous and honestly I can't wait to read and at least you've been 
so wonderful as a guest and thank you so much for coming um everyone who's listening in the void um please do buy Ovian Eurydiceus because it's just such a lovely tale but also so complex all at once I think and I race for it. it's really it's quite fast paced I thought I read it quite fast oh, keep reading I'm, I'm really honored to hear that and thank you for having me on and I know you're UK based so I just wanted to let any UK based people know that there is a beautiful sprayed edge edition for UK independent bookshops only which I'm very excited about I just received my author copies early and it's so beautiful and blue around the edges so yes that's also available now too for independent bookshops only as well that's such a great initiative I love that yeah I think it's a fantastic idea and um it's it's just a lovely thing to have uh, regardless but to have it in independent bookshops too is really special and that's only in the UK love that <laughs> limited <laughs> oh well thank you Elise you've been a star thank you well, thank you for having me on and I'm looking forward to checking out some other episodes too. Oh, thanks. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been the Booked and Busy podcast where I open books and open my big mouth to talk about it. And I also open my big mouth to talk to authors now, which is just fantastic. I want to generally thank you all for the support. Um, It's been incredible. And I really feel like we're building like a lovely little book community here. Um, And I'm just so grateful um, for you listeners for just honestly chiming in. It means so much. And I'll see you again next week. Bye.